you have your Bible, I'll take you this morning to one passage of Scripture in the book of John, chapter number 15. John 15 and verse number 8. Again, I, I know pastors watching online, I give him honor. We are tremendously blessed. I say it often, but I'll reiterate it again this morning. We are blessed with a tremendous shepherd. Amen. John chapter 15 and verse number 8 says this. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. It's interesting here that John in his writing relates fruit to glorifying the Father. But he also relates fruit to an indicative mark of discipleship. We oftentimes classify discipleship. You'll know they're my disciples because of their love, one to another. But here John goes in a little further and he says, you'll also know they're my disciples because they will bear much fruit. It is the will of the Lord for the church to be a fruitful vine. It is the will of the Lord for you to have a fruitful life. And so today I want to talk to you on this simple thought. Five facts of fruitfulness. Five facts of fruitfulness. Would you lift your hands one more time and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for the moving and the ministering of your spirit. Oh God, we feel that gentle and refreshing touch. Lord, that has flooded this sanctuary today, we pray, Lord, that your kingdom come and your will be done in this sanctuary, God, as it is in heaven. Whatever you desire today, that is the desire of our heart. Come and move and minister and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I am going to be extremely mindful of the time. I do understand that I stand between you and hamburger steaks and burger combos by the Bible quizzers. I will never forget the days of elementary school, mostly because that was the time of my collegiate and school career that I was awake for. They had specified nap time then, and someone forgot to tell the high school teachers that there was supposed to be scheduled naps. And so when I arrived in high school... They completely threw my schedule out the window, and I had Brother King to implement my own nap time. It happened about 1 o'clock, shortly after lunch, in English class. Because I figured I could already talk that. I don't need this class. Wrong. I also figured, Sister Treach, that I didn't need English class because I was going to go to school and be a draftsman. I needed math and science. I can tell you today I've used more commas than I have calculators. I've used more punctuation than I have used pressures and scales and all of the things that are included in drafting. In fact, every week, English is needed. Sometimes more than others. 
But I'll never forget elementary school. We used to celebrate the most random things in the world. Now they celebrate this is the 75th day of school. Everybody dress up and let's now it's the hundredth day of school. Well, back in the day, and I, I can say these things in here. I, I start saying things like this in the youth room, and they're like, huh? You guys did what? Tetris, what is that? There's nothing that makes me feel older than when my illustrations are met in the Wednesday night youth service with, what? But I don't, I'll never forget, maybe some of you remember, maybe, maybe your children came home with those things, maybe you came home with those things, but we used to celebrate Arbor Day at the school. And we watched hours of documentaries and videos telling us about the shortage of trees and how we were cutting down more trees than were being planted. And there was a catastrophic environmental disaster on the horizon because of the shortage of trees. And so their solution to this catastrophic environmental crisis was let's send home six-year-olds with orange garbage bags with a little tree in them. How are we going to save the world? An army of six-year-olds with a tree. And maybe there were some six-year-olds that were not me that took that commission a little more seriously and they went home and planted their little Arbor Day tree and maybe they did better than I. If the world was in my hands to save it by planting my Arbor Day tree, we would all not be here today. I planted my Arbor Day tree in the yard, and I had every intention, Brother Dylan, that it would become a fruitful tree. It was going to be a tall and strong tree. and I would plant next year, I would plant my other one strategically beside it, and I would create me this beautiful garden or this beautiful uh, uh, plant you know, planting of trees. I'd measure it off and it'd be just immaculately done. I planted one tree. A few weeks later, I forgot about the tree. A few months later, the tree no longer existed. Shockingly, trees require more than throwing them in a hole. Growing things is a whole lot more complicated than what you think it is. You've got to nurture that thing and you got to take care of it. And I don't know whose idea it was to replenish the world's shortage of trees by an army of six-year-olds with orange garbage bag trees. But I'm going to say we probably didn't make much progress. Because in my mind, I just wanted to throw it in the hole and it would just sprout up and be something incredible. That's not how it works. If that tree's going to grow, if that tree's going to be fruitful... There is care and there is nurturing and there is attention that must be given to that tree. It just doesn't grow because it finds a little bit of dirt. It just doesn't grow because you threw it in a hole. Because what happened to my tree is I planted it. And everything around it outgrew it. And it didn't get any sunlight. And in case you're not aware... I didn't get to 300 pounds because I planted my own garden. I might weigh 100 pounds today if I was relying on my own garden. That's probably a stretch. I'd probably be starved to death. Because there's effort required for something to become fruitful. 
Can I tell you the same is true of being fruitful in the Spirit? It is the design of the tree to bear fruit, but its fruitfulness is dependent upon the care and the nurturing that it receives. It is the design of God for you to be fruitful and the church to be fruitful and for this to be a fruitful vine, but there's care and there's nurturing and there's discipline and there are things that are required if we are going to be a fruitful vine. If we're going to grow up and be fruitful into all good works, as the writer would say, there is something required of us. God has designed it to be fruitful. God has designed it to bear fruit. But can I tell you there is some facts about fruitfulness that we've got to take into consideration if this word is to be planted in my heart and bring forth much spiritual fruit. It'll be because I was willing to pluck up some things and to break up the fallow ground and to let the spirit of the Lord work and to let the waters of refreshing flow and to let the river flow through where I've planted and where the word has been planted in my life. The initial design and desire of God was that man would be fruitful. Fruitfulness is exemplified not only to the New Testament church, but it is throughout. It's stated to Israel. It's stated in Genesis. It's stated repeatedly through the Scripture, the command of the Lord to be fruitful. In fact, oftentimes you find fruitfulness precedes multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply. Because before anything can multiply... Fruitfulness is needed. Before that apple tree becomes an apple orchard, fruitfulness is needed. Because the objective and the mission of the fruit, sure, it's sweet and it's appealing to the eye and it tastes good. But the mission of it is it preserves the seed so that more seed can be planted. Can I tell you the mission of the fruit of the Spirit? It preserves the seed of the gospel so that it can be planted and it can be fruitful. And we can multiply. There are greater things ahead. Greater days stand before the church. There's a greater bounty of fruitfulness. But can I tell you we must find ourselves nurturing and caring for the fruit and the seed that is in our care. We've heard preaching and teaching about the importance of fruitfulness. In fact, I stood on Wednesday nights just a matter of a month ago and preached on the fruit of the Spirit until every young person in the room was near about sick of the fruit of the Spirit. But can I tell you, it's the design and the desire of God. John says that it is glorifying to God that we bear much fruit. God is not looking for a church that has bare branches. God is looking for a fruitful church. A fruitful church that is appealing to a starving world. A fruitful church that is appealing to a hungry soul. A fruitful church that is preserving the gospel, the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A fruitful church that multiplies into greater things. It is his design and desire from Genesis for man to be fruitful. It is something that glorifies God and marks one as a disciple. But yet in all the examining of fruit and in all of our desire to be fruitful and to glorify God, it beckons the question of what is fruitfulness. 
And how does it occur? Paul talks about the fruit in Galatians when he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It's intriguing to my mind, and maybe it's just my small mind, but it is intriguing to me that the fruit of the Spirit is all things that are seen, the outward expression of man. You can tell that someone is full of love and joy. You can tell if someone is long-suffering. It deals with reactions. It deals with interactions. You can tell when people are gentle and good. You can tell when they are faith and they have faith and they're faithful. You can tell someone who's meek and temperate. Why? Because the fruit is the evidence of an inward work. The fruit is an outward display of an inner working of the Spirit. Just as the inner working of the tree causes it to bear fruit. You can't look at that tree from the outside and say, that that's going to bear fruit. No, but you can see the fruit when it comes to fruition. Because what's happening on the inside of that tree? There's no question that it's an apple tree because it bears out apples. Can I tell you, it should be the inner working of the Holy Ghost in us that causes a bearing of the fruit of the Spirit that people can see and that it shows and that we know without a doubt. You're going to know there's a mark of discipleship that they bear much fruit. Can I tell you, life becomes a little easier in that arena as well. Peace is listed in the fruit of the Spirit. When God describes the when when Paul in Galatians describes the fruit, he says, Peace. Can I tell you, we live in a chaotic world where peace is sought after. Peace is a precious commodity in our world and in our hour. And there are people that are looking for a place that is filled with a peace. Can I tell you, we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let it be that that fruit, let it be the fruit of the Spirit. And that peace is found in this house, is found in my house, is found in my family, is found in my life. I'll never forget, just a matter of a few years ago, I would go over, and you've heard me talk about Brother Swatley, but I used to love going to their house. There was just a peace that filled the house. I could go there. I could eat pie. Praise God. I could drink coffee. But there was a peace that flooded that atmosphere. Can I tell you, I believe it's the desire of God that we be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That when people get around us, there's a spiritual peace that comes. And it calms the chaos of their mind. And it calms the chaotic situations of their world. We can't remedy all of their problem. But there is still a peace that surpasses understanding. We can't remedy what's happening in their world. We're not their savior. But we can carry with us the fruit of peace. We can carry with us the fruit of the spirit and bear an atmosphere of peace. And it surpasses their understanding. Understanding. They don't understand why their world is in turmoil. But yet when they come into this room, there's peace for a moment. 
the work of the Holy Ghost. It's what happens when you come into His presence. It's what happens when there's a working of His Spirit. You can come into this sanctuary and you can have all the stress and all the pressure of life and everything in your world could be turned upside down and you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. But there's something that shifts when you get into this sanctuary and the Spirit of the Lord begins to move. And for a moment, you find reprieve from the cares of life. You find a reprieve from the pressures of the world because there is a peace that surpasses understanding. Let me pause on a Sunday morning and tell you if you've walked in heavy today there's a peace in this house there's a joy in this house there's a strength in this house there is a work of the spirit here you can come into this house and you can lift up your hands and the cares and the pressures of life can leave you sure they may meet you again on Monday morning I'm not saying you'll come in and lift your hands and everything will be incredibly well when you walk out. But what I am saying is there is a reprieve you can find in the presence of the Lord. There is a strength you can... I wish you'd lift up your hands this morning. If you're here and life's pressures have weighed you down, I wish you'd lift up your hands. I feel the Holy Ghost. There is a strength and a peace in this house right now. Come on, come on, let's just do that for a moment. Come on, there are are saints of God that walked into this room today with chaos going on in your world, with stress and turmoil going on in your mind. There may be situations you can't control, but let me tell you, don't you bypass the presence of God that wants to give you strength today. God, I feel a pause of the Spirit. Let it not be that we come into this place so bogged down with what's happening outside of this place that we just simply rush through when God is saying, if you'll pause for a moment here, there's waters of refreshing flowing. There's waters. There's living water flowing. There's peace that is being administered. There's strength that is being found. That's what we're here for. If we don't move into page two of the notes, we're here for saints of God and for wonderful people of the Lord that have come in with the pressure of life on your mind. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let us never neglect it. Let it not only be in this sanctuary, but oh God, let that flood our homes. Let it flood our homes that when our children come in from the chaotic pressures of society that they faced at their school and on their job and in this world, let it be that when they come home, let them find a reprieve from the world because we've prayed the Holy Ghost down in our living rooms, because we've anointed our household, because we bear fruit at our place. Let it be a reprieve from the world. It's my desire that when my little three-foot terrorizing two-year-old, you laugh, it's real. If you don't believe me, 
just come, come look at it. It was just observe for about three minutes. Ask Sister Brendan, Brother Hardy. He will tear your place up. It didn't even got to be his place. He just tears up the place. But it is my greatest desire that there is a fruitfulness and there is a working of the Spirit in our house that when I send that little fella, whether he's going to preschool or wherever he's going, whether he ends up homeschooled or public schooled or whatever, there's pressures of life that are applied regardless of what situation they're in. They face pressures regardless. Just because they're homeschooled doesn't mean there's any less pressure than those that went to public school. Irregardless of where they're found in that spectrum, it is my desire that my house would be a place where the Spirit of the Lord abides. It is my desire that that would be a place of reprieve for the weary soul. It is my desire that when he comes home and he's had the pressures of life on him and he's dealt with things that I don't even know about, it is my desire that the peace of the Lord would abide in our home. And that is the place and the intention of God. Certainly they should find it here. But can I tell you the same spirit of the Lord that works here can work where your house is. It can work in the middle of your family. It can work in the middle of your week. I got nine minutes and 13, 12, 11 seconds to tell you five facts of fruitfulness. Because I believe that it is the design and the desire of God. And that if we are going to see powerful works of the spirit, it begins with practical works of the spirit. It begins when God does a practical work in us. That practical work, that practical work that bears fruit, that practical work that calls me to a devotion and a consecration and a time of prayer and a time of discipline. It is that work of the Spirit that leads into all other facets of what the Spirit desires to do. That's why Colossians say this for the call, for this cause. We also, since today we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you may be filled with knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Fruitfulness comes by an increasing of knowledge of the Word of God. Fruitfulness comes when I open and avail myself and I say this, this is the lamp to my feet. This is the light to my path. This is how I'll charter the course of my life. There's no other way to bear fruit. Jesus in the parable begins to break the parable of the sower down to the disciples and he says the word is the seed. Without the seed, there would have been no hundredfold, no sixtyfold, no fortyfold. There would have been no increase. It is impossible to have an apple orchard without an apple seed. And Jesus says, This is the seed. So fruitfulness begins here. The work of the Spirit in my family begins here. The work of the Spirit in my home, the work of the Spirit in my children, it begins here. 
Why? Because this is the only thing that will bear fruit. This is the only thing that grows. This is the only thing that sustains. This is the only thing that works. This is the only roadmap to life. This is the only way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. It's through the gospel of Jesus. It's through the working of his word. It's through the washing of his blood. It's through the infilling of his spirit. And if we are to be fruitful, the first fact of fruitfulness is you must be close to the water. Once the seed of the word is planted in the heart, it's obeyed in our lives. If we are to bear fruit, here's what the psalmist says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his law, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. Planted by the rivers of water. Proximity to the water precedes his statement of fruitfulness. He's got to be planted by the waters. Then, he says, that bringeth forth fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he do shall prosper. The first thing that he says before he talks about fruitfulness, before he talks about unwithering leaves, before he even mentions prosperity, he said, there's the word that you got to meditate in, and there's a river that you better be close to. Can I tell you it is the desire of God that we find that river of living water, that river of life that flows in the Spirit, and that we plant ourselves near it. Why? Because it is the one water that waters the souls of men unto fruitfulness. I can't be fruitful if I'm far from the water. I can't be fruitful if I'm far from where the water flows. There's got to be something in me that says I'm going to be where the water is on Sunday morning. I'm going to be where the water is on Wednesday night. I'm going to be where the water is. When I'm at home, I'm going to get near the water. When I'm on my job, I'm going to say some silent prayers because I can't afford to be away from the water. There's a reason trees don't grow in deserts. We had a wonderful, wonderful vacation several years ago in which we drove from San Diego to Las Vegas for some unforeseen reason. I wouldn't do it again ever, but we did it. Beautiful drive. The first 30 minutes is nothing but you turn one curve and here's the San Diego Bay and you turn the next curve and here's some snow-capped mountains and breathtaking scenery until you get to the Mojave Desert. It becomes a lot less breathtaking then. Especially when everyone else in the car goes to sleep. And here you are, stranded for four hours in a rental car, driving through the desert. I didn't see any orchards in the desert. I saw the occasional weird little hay ball that flies across the road like you see in the cartoons. And then, 
Let me just describe the drive to you. Here it is in the most uh, poetic description that I can utter. Sand dune. Sand dune. Oh, sand dune. Followed by sand dune. Six more sand dunes. Oh, 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 no sand dune. There were nothing. There was nothing to see in the desert. There's no vegetation. Cactus. Sand dune, sand dune, sand dune, sand dune. Cactus, sand dune, sand dune. Miserable. Everybody went to sleep. There was no more. Wow. Nobody says wow over a sand dune. If they do, I need them to give me their secret of what they know about sand dunes that I don't. The reason vegetation can't survive there is because there's a limited flow of the water. It's a dry place. It's a desolate land. Israel goes through it and you read. They needed water to come out of a rock. Why? Because fruitfulness hinges on your proximity to the water. I got to be close to where the water's flowing. When the waters of refreshing flood over our sanctuary, I want to be close to it. When the water of the Spirit, when that river of life begins to flow where we are, I want to be right in the middle of it. Why? Because proximity to the water produces fruitfulness. Musicians will help me. I've got a minute and five seconds. The second fact of fruitfulness is if we are to be fruitful, there must be a spiritual receptivity. Let me show it to you in Matthew. Matthew 13, 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. But it's he that received seed. My ability to receive when preaching is going forth, when the Spirit of God is moving, my ability to break up the fallow ground of my heart and receive and say, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, whenever you want to do it, that produces fruitfulness because it is impossible for seed to spring up where the ground is not ready for it to be planted. So spiritual receptivity is a must. The third fact of fruitfulness is there must be a willingness for me to crucify flesh. John 12 and 24 says, Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Certainly Jesus here gives us a glimpse into the truth of his own death. But can I tell you, there can't be spiritual fruitfulness where we're not willing to crucify the old carnal man. It is impossible to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit without walking in the Spirit. And so I've got to lay down my whole carnal man. Sometimes we just apply that to, to sin. But can I tell you, the carnal man, he's, he's the guy who's full of doubts and he's full of fears. 
He's full of insecurities. He's the guy that stands back when the Spirit of the Lord's moving in a miraculous fashion. And that old carnal mind will enter in every now and then and say, Well, do I really? Should we really? No, 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 no. I need to let that guy die. I need to let that guy die. That doubt and that discouragement and that carnal mind that is captive by all of our thoughts and our inabilities. I need to let that fade away and say, you know what? He is abundantly able. He's able to do exceeding and abundant above all. And so I'm going to crucify my doubts and my discouragements and my limitations. And I'm going to say, God, I believe you. I believe you for what pastor's been preaching. I believe you for greater. I believe you for a greater move in my family, a greater move in our church, a greater move in this city. The last, the fourth fact of fruitfulness. Jesus says in John, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. My response to pruning dictates how fruitful I am when the spirit of the Lord is calling me to lay down some things when the spirit of the Lord is calling for some things to be cut in my life maybe it's not sin but maybe it's just the call of God to come away from some things and draw near to him and to leave aside and to cut aside some of the things that are holding us back can I tell you my response to God wanting to cut loose from doubts and fears and flesh. My response to the pruning of the Spirit dictates how fruitful I can be. But if I'm willing to say, God, cut away from me whatever you need. God, pull out of me whatever's unlike you. Because I want to bear fruit. I want to be like you. The mission is that Christ be formed in us. And the last thing, and I'm three minutes over time, my apologies. John 15 and 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same shall bring forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. The fifth fact of fruitfulness is I must be willing to abide. I got to be willing to abide. The word abide literally means not to depart, to remain as one, not to become different or another. If I am to be fruitful, I must abide in his spirit. I must abide in his word. I must abide in his way. If I'm to be fruitful, I must abide in doctrine. I must abide in the truth of the word. I must abide in the spirit of the Lord. I can't allow anything to sever my call. I can't allow, allow anything to sever my connection to the spirit or to the word or to the church or to my pastor. I've got to be found abiding in the body. Because I can't do anything. I've got to be connected. I can't allow for anything to sever my ties to the body. I can't allow for anything to interfere with me being connected to the church or to the word or to the spirit. But if I abide in him, if I'm found in him and he's found in me, he said, you'll bring forth much fruit. I wish you'd lift your hands all across this sanctuary this morning. 
know I'm circling back, but I, I feel a strong pull of the Spirit this morning. But if you're in this house and you need peace and you need strength to flood your mind, this altar is open. I invite you to make your way. The peace of the Lord is going to meet you here today. The strength of the Lord is going to meet you right here this morning. But I believe with everything in me, it is the desire of the Lord that we be fruitful unto all good works, that we bear much fruit. Why? Because it glorifies God. Oh, as they begin to sing, I wish you would just lift up your hands. Maybe you want to make an altar where you're sitting this morning. That's okay. The Spirit of the Lord will move right where you are. The Spirit of the Lord will move right there in your seat.